do your team workshops deliver the results you hope for? What if you could keep momentum of your meetings and get everyone to follow up even weeks later? My name is Miriam Hatnas and it's my mission to help you deliver workshops that drive sustainable results. My guests are professional facilitators, trainers and coaches with whom I discuss best practices and explore why workshops work. Hi Mark, I am very happy to have you on my show today. And we are looking forward, I'm looking forward, to discuss with you on how to keep office politics out of workshops. Oh. <laughs> But before we get to the details, um, I read about your Vita and about your, um, your work experience. And what I realized is that you combine the fields of political science and organizational design in a very interesting way. And I wonder what kind of job title you would give yourself. How would you summarize everything that you do and that you know in a very concrete tagline? <laughs> That's a very good question. I still struggle how to describe myself. Actually, there are three hashtags that I use. I say, or, um, yeah, say about myself, I work in the field of organization, innovation, and experience design. And I try to combine, so to say, my prior experience, being an entrepreneur, etc., um, with uh, all the knowledge that I gained in the last years, especially in the field of um, yeah, uh, agile, scaling agile, and making systems work. Mm -hmm. And now that you're mentioning the agile, um, I read on your description that you are a senior Agile coach. I would consider you also an expert in lean startup. Um, and we'll talk about the intelligent organizations later, which is your uh, special field. When I hear the two words Agile and lean, I think of fast and flat, fast in terms, in terms of pace How, organization, um, how meetings work and how organizations organize themselves. And I think of flat in terms of hierarchies. How do you understand the combination of agile and lean and how does it translate into meeting environments or collaboration in organizations? Yeah, um At first, I would like to emphasize the similarities between lean and agile. That means uh, you have, um, even though it's a buzzword nowadays, um, a radical customer centricity uh, in the first place. So um, your whole value stream is organized around the customer. And so to say, um, the customer is not the end of the journey, but mm -hmm. the beginning of the journey. Mm -hmm. Often enough, people still think, okay, we produce something and then you have a certain steps, a chain, daisy chain sometimes and then at the end uh, the uh, product is delivered to the customer and i think that's uh, a big misunderstanding because at first of course the old game you have to ask yourself who is the customer what does the customer value etc and then i organize so to say my um yeah core processes um, mm -hmm. um starting from the journey uh, from from the customer backwards uh, to the conception and everything else and 
in this context, then uh, I asked myself, okay, which kind of um, coordinational um, meetings do we need, um, strategic meetings, blah, 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 everything that we have uh, um, in terms of interaction in the system in order to generate value for the customer. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I have to say, of course, and that's also an old debate, you know, customer first or employee first. From my understanding and my personal experience, I would always start with a customer. Mm -hmm. And implicitly, you then take also care about the employee and the employee satisfaction and how also your uh, inner thing, your atmosphere, so to say, in the system is working. Uh, in order to generate value at the end of the day for a customer. Because if you don't have a customer, at least in the economic sphere, uh, you don't need an organization. No? So you need a market, a customer, and then, okay, you have a problem and you try to solve the problem for the customer. That's very true. And when you as a coach um, go into an organization, then your customer would be the organization, right? Often enough, yes. So do you translate, and if so, how, your concept of customer first um, to your own service design? <laughs> yeah, a tricky question because, um, yeah, that's part of my, how I conditioned myself over the last 20 plus X years, um, uh, customer first. So um, I try to help the customer, but... That means also at the same time, since I'm um, an external consultant and I uh, can offer an external view, that does not imply that I always do what the customer wants. <laughs> I like that. I would probably emphasize uh, um, behaviors that weren't successful in the first place. And um, if it makes no sense to hire me if people are only looking for confirmation. So mm. part of my job description then in terms of customer first is um, that I have to be a neutral, objective as possible mm -hmm. and um, in a delicate balance between being attached and empathic towards mm -hmm. the customer and at the same time I have to dissociate myself, mm -hmm. and stay in a yeah, neutral zone like a scientist observing an experiment. I don't know if that was the answer that you expected. <laughs> it was surely an interesting answer. And I wonder whether or how you can select the organization then that you want to work with. So because let me put it a different way. I can imagine that not every organization or not every boss would be happy to hire someone who is not necessarily doing everything he or she asked for. Yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, again, um, a real problem because very traditional um, systems, um, they don't ask for disturbance. Mm -hmm. They uh, seek um, stability and they think the business model is still working. And yes, things are changing, but these are only trends. So we don't need um, external consultancy. Mm -hmm. So it is... Uh, inevitable that there must be something like a pain point um, mm -hmm. and an awareness within the client that they have a pain point that they would, would like to work on and that they accept um, also or that they give me the uh, allowance yeah that I perturbate the system uh, that I in a constructive of course uh, human-centered way disturb um, the way they think they interact uh, offer new yeah uh, offer a reflection actually that's the core of my work. So you're an external disruptor. 
so to say. Yeah, uh, even though I have a little bit problems with the word disruption because mm -hmm. um, disruption sounds too much like revolution and revolution is always bloody and I don't <laughs> like blood. I want to have a smooth transition. Yeah? Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, but somehow, yeah, I'm, I'm an external disturber. External disturber. I like that. This could be a nice job description or role description that I asked for in the beginning. External disturber. And when I hear disturber in the context of lean and agile and organizations, I always wonder, and this is maybe also the core um, or the main reason why I'm so excited to have you on the show. When we think of um, office politics, This doesn't necessarily has to do with the form of the organization or with um, agile as such. So how can you make sure that the office politics stay out of the process that you came in for? So and in what con in what way can an intelligent organization deal with office politics? Yeah. At first, I think politics are normal. And the logic of politics should never be misinterpreted um, with the abuse of mm -hmm. politics. Mm -hmm. So what is politics in politics? It's about power. It's about making decisions for a large group. Mm -hmm. And um, at first, I cannot really make sure that politics stay out of the process. Um, This is uh, only that can be achieved in a mutual effort, but not by me alone. Mm -hmm. I can only try to help them to reflect, is this way how power is played in a certain context or in a certain situation fruitful um, for the client, for the employee, for the whole organization, and maybe even for society mm -hmm. in, uh, in a very broad way. So um, I try to keep politics or make them make them aware of their politics mm -hmm. um, and uh, again how do I do this asking questions um, asking why you make a decision maybe uh, in this way uh, only one person um, so to say the king or like in the feudal um, um, times mm -hmm. you have there um, uh, this noble uh, man in, in brackets, always old white men um, in these systems, mm -hmm. um, traditional systems. And uh, then I try to make them, and that depends then on my um, on my partner, um, the one gegenüber, sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the, some people, um, you can catch them if you um, do the play uh, or a calculation of the total cost of ownership of a decision. Mm. So what is the price that you pay in the long run mm -hmm not engaging maybe with the quieter people in the room. Uh, why do, don't mm -hmm. you use the expertise that you have actually in the system? Mm -hmm. And why do you maintain a structure that keeps people in the group together more stupid as if they were capable of solving problems if they were better connected? This and is it would yeah. be a living, so to say, um, uh, interaction and not a dead bureaucratic structure. It's an interesting point that you're raising the quieter people in an organization. I just wrote an article about how to make workshops more introvert-friendly. And 
also my main motivator for this article was the question, how much value do you actually give up by keeping people in the room that are not actively contributing because you're not allowing them the space to? And I wonder, how do you drive this discussion? Would you have a briefing with a host um, before the first meeting with the team? Or would you address as soon as you realize that it's deriving and there may be only two people having a bilateral conversation or that there are ego and politics coming up or people that remain quiet? How do you deal with that beforehand and on spot? Um, yeah, beforehand, uh, I play the game of expectation management. Mm -hmm. And um, the one who, so, um, so to say, is paying for me, um, I speak about the structure and the ideas, how to create an engaging environment um, that uh, yeah, motivates also the quieter people, the introverts, um, to contribute and to participate. Mm -hmm. Which also implies that I tell uh, or say that I need, so to say, um, the allowance, um, that I play the referee, and that I have also the right to um, uh, put the um, extroverts maybe sometimes a little bit into their boundaries or back uh, into their space. Mm -hmm. um, they are overtaking and dominating the discussion or yeah, the whole uh, atmosphere. Um, so I at first tried to make clear uh, it works the best way um, um, if you allow me to be the referee. Um, then I try to explain also beforehand, you have to trust on emergence. Mm -hmm. There are things that you cannot plan. Mm -hmm. You can just only trust in the process and um, be open. And then, to my experience, usually always something um, uh, emerges, a new solution, a new, uh, I don't know, whatever, uh, viewpoint, um, a perspective for a problem, um, whatever you need um, and why you gather the people. And then, in the situation itself, I try to be in my own Oda loop. Mm -hmm. What does so that mean? Uh, Oda loop is an uh, uh, old concept from, um, I think it was Colonel, Colonel John Boyd, uh, American military strategist. And uh, the basic concept is uh, that you constantly observe, orient, decide, act. Mm -hmm. And that means in these uh, situations when I facilitate, I have to be, uh, in quotes, in a kind of a hyper-awareness state mm -hmm. of mind. And, um, yeah, then do something. And I cannot really explain why and how it works. This is maybe, yeah, by experience. It's somehow stored in my, um, mm -hmm. yeah, in my nervous system. <laughs> Interesting. So it's uh, learning by doing an experience. Yeah, it's a lot of experience. I mean, I'm doing not this organizational work for 20 years, but I was always involved due to my whole um, lifetime, also in building uh, up a company, having always people together, making big decisions or smaller mm -hmm. decisions. And um, yeah, so somehow I trained my reflexes. Interesting. To what extent would you feedback your thought process to the group? It depends. I do it often. Um, pretty direct mm -hmm. um, and I use sometimes also some sort of an intro introduction uh, to put uh, my uh, following thought chain into perspective and into a context okay 
and yeah, I try to do it often in a peaceful way. No? That's uh, the trick. To, um, if yeah, it depends. No? Sometimes it's good to have tension. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. it's bad to have tension. So I cannot say this um, uh, on a general general way. And I, I think it's tension is good, but emotions or too much emotions maybe is not good. So I can imagine that by you putting it into perspective um, and giving it a context. This also keeps the emotions out of the game so that everyone can reflect on the situations without getting too much involved uh, in a, so to speak, passionate way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and at the same time, I was also in a situation where it was good when somebody's, uh, someone started to cry mm -hmm. because there was a need and um, maybe for a certain kind of a Uh, not to, to ventilate, mm -hmm. to get the pressure out of the system, it was better to go for a short time, of course, mm -hmm. into the red area, and then uh, balance yourself again, and uh, that could help sometimes um, to engage into a better uh, communication, and especially conversation, uh, not to, to get together again. And how did you react in this specific situation where the um, one colleague started crying? Because crying is still a no-go area in many organizations to show this amount of vulnerability. How did the group react and how did you, how did you get them back on track to continue the process? Um, yeah, uh, trick number one, no pressure. Mm -hmm. take, take time mm -hmm. uh, uh, obviously this is important so it needs time and then uh, it depends often enough people start to react by themselves maybe they go to the person lay the hand on the shoulder you know a little mm -hmm. bit of body contact or you know, um, in quotes genuine contact um, sometimes it's just words and sometimes it's just waiting until mm -hmm. somebody says something I mean this is then for me especially the role often enough from my understanding not to say anything mm -hmm. wait because this there's something in the group and only if it's really super crashing then i would intervene otherwise smile wait and give them their own um, space that they need would again you... emergence mm -hmm. plan it. It ha it's happening so it's a gut feeling that would drive you to either call in a break or let someone else take over the talking yeah okay yeah yeah before we continue the show let me take a brief moment to thank our sponsor session lab session lab offers an easy to use drag and drop agenda builder a color scheme that gives me an immediate feel on the balance of activities and the option to share a branded document with my clients And whenever I need inspiration for new exercises or variations, I check the abundant database with hands-on tips and tricks. So if you are looking for a smooth way to prepare a workshop or meeting agenda that not only looks amazing but also professional, sign up for Session Lab. I use it myself and I wouldn't recommend it if I didn't believe in its value. How can you detect the difference in terms of collaboration? So when I imagine a group of people sitting together in a workshop. What's the difference between a normal organization and an intelligent organization? Yeah. At first, and this is a very, uh, very uh, compressed definition, 
in an intelligent organizations uh, in an intelligent organization decisions are made at the right time at the right spot by the right person mm -hmm. the competence based decision making structure and it's fluid it's not um, it's not static like um, a typical organigram suggests mm -hmm. for instance uh, during my own um, time as an entrepreneur if I knew here this guy this fellow Uh, woman, what, whatever, um, is capable of making a better decision than me, then of course they should take, um, um, uh, have the right, mm -hmm. logical, to make the decision. And there was a little trick when I led. I always told them, you do the decision on the, um, well, on the, uh, on this technical matter, mm -hmm. in terms of leadership, mm -hmm. we share, mm -hmm. and you're not alone. I back you up. And at the end of the day, of course, um, uh, if something crashes, I have to go to the customer mm -hmm. and explain and not you. Don't worry. Do you believe in group decision making? Yes, no, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because um, I have to talk uh, briefly about my favorite, one of my favorite laws. Yes. Um, I'm dealing a lot with uh, cybernetics and management cybernetics. And in, uh, there's, so to say, a um, very fundamental law. It's called the law of requisite variety. Uh, it was defined by Ross Ashby, I think, 1995, or so, uh, in 1952. Sorry, <laughs> 1952. And um, this law says that um, if you want to control a situation, you have to have the same variety, like. Um, um, Variety is the amount of possible states in the system. You have to have the same variety like the situation that you want to control. Short example, I want to build a house and maybe I can do the basement by myself and the mm -hmm. roof, mm -hmm. but not everything else. So I don't have the requisite variety. Mm -hmm. I can maintain all the possible states to build a house. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I engage people to help me so that there is the house. And mm -hmm. therefore, to get back to the question about group um, um, decisions, But uh, every group has at least theoretically the potential that you have a higher variety, more perspectives, more exp experience, more skills, competencies um, than if you are alone. Mm -hmm. But of course, this is an ambitious thing, uh, uh, ambiguous thing, because uh, if you don't have um, the, uh, uh, the right people together with the right competencies, mm -hmm. then you can have a bad. Um, uh, a much more worse decision that uh, a people a person alone mm -hmm. could how so do you... it depends really on the combination the mix of experience skills blah 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 and the ability of course i mean these are only technical aspects but then the question how are, is this group able to interact can they change um, decision making processes mm -hmm. from um, group voting to i don't know consent mm -hmm. to um, i don't know Dot voting, Roman vote, blah, 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 and different procedures to be able to make a decision and a qualitatively high decision. How can you, so if you, I get it right, the main, the crucial point is to get the right people in the room. Yeah. So to have the variety in terms of um, maybe also academic or technical backgrounds, maybe also personalities that together they can build this house. 
Yeah, excuse me, a, a short add-on. Exactly, yes. it's not only about cross-functionality, but like a friend of me always says, it's cross-social uh, sociality. Can you so, explain that? Uh, yeah, you need, on the one hand, the risk-taker, the mm -hmm. one who is brave and always looks forward. Mm -hmm. Then it's good also, from my point of view, to have also the skeptical person mm -hmm. who says, but wait, have you thought about the consequences? And um, this mix... Uh, um, This mix is, uh, at the end of the day, for me, um, the true um, success factor. Not only that you have the skills, but also the personalities. And and that's the real art. Mm -hmm. Find a group of people who are so different that they still say, I like to collaborate with you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that you are different. <laughs> yes. It reminds, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. It reminds me of the article yeah. you wrote about the wet teaming. Where you get the a group of diverse people together who are just there to challenge um, a given project or a given decision that has been made, right? Right. Do you think that every organization or every team can become a wet team as such, that they can train that? to become this open group that share concerns, that challenge each other's ideas, um, and that um, a group that doesn't fear discomfort and conflict? Mm. Well, probably not every organization, no. Because um, if I truly believe in diversity, mm -hmm then this implies that there are people who do not want to change out of reasons. And mm -hmm. it's not me to judge it or um, uh, to explain them. But if you have a good reason, if you, have, uh, if you are motivated, then, of course, it's super easy. Then you can learn also Chinese if you want to, <laughs> in the 80s. Mm -hmm. You need just a good reason. And uh, if you have a good reason, yeah, then it's possible. But it takes also a little bit of time because... Uh, Especially red teaming is a lot about uh, reflection and about critical thinking. So mm -hmm. thinking about thinking and how do I make decisions and what are my uh, biases and uh, uh, how do you call this um, fallacies mm -hmm. that constantly happen in my brain and to which extent I'm able yeah, to reflect on them on a personal level and then in a group level. Mm -hmm. And I guess that this also means that as a external facilitator, you need more time with the team, with the same team, to train them and also to train this sort of communication in a team. Yeah, um, this is not like a checklist uh, and then we do a two-hour workshop and now you're enabled. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are, of course, always the talents and people who just need a few terms to understand something that they were uh, applying all the time, mm -hmm. but they have no word for it, mm -hmm. or no idea. Mm. But usually uh, it, takes, it takes a little bit of time. So it takes a little bit of time, if I get you right, to also um, develop this vocabulary that the group is using as a group in order to understand the same things by using specific words for it? Exactly. Interesting. Um, because we're approaching the end already, I would be interested in a very practical advice um, from your years of experience dealing with groups um, and collaboration. And I think we have all experienced the situation where 
within a workshop, maybe the topic becomes a little bit more critical or one person becomes passionate, suddenly there is a big ego in the room who is about, and that's the sweet spot, not sweet, bitter spot, that is about to destroy the, the flow. And it might be a sweet spot because I realized that depending on how you deal with it, it might this conflict might either relieve energy and bring something positive out, so a big leap forward, or it might destroy the entire energy and and the participants would mentally check out already. Have you experienced such a situations? And if so, how? what is your advice on how to deal with it, especially for facilitators who might be less experienced than you are? Mm. Yeah, well, when I, when I try now to put this into a sentence, I have a feeling um, that could also be written on a calendar, you know, <laughs> as one calendar wisdom. <laughs> um, I did one uh, for two years, um, Aikido. Mm -hmm. Aikido. And the basic principle that you learn is um, that you are thankful for your, in quotes, opponent, mm -hmm. because he's uh, giving you energy. Mm -hmm. And then you redirect the energy. So the end, uh, at the end of the day, it's mirroring. Mm -hmm. and it depends also um, a little bit on the person. Um, one of my favorite tricks is uh, humor. Mm -hmm. and do something or say something paradox. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example? Maybe this, uh, there's someone is in his uh, preaching mode, yeah, and talking and talking and talking. And then I say, uh, well, uh, excuse me, could you maybe step um, on the table because that would more suit now to the whole situation. <laughs> how, how is the reaction? Yeah, of course, uh, uh, irritated. Mm -hmm. And then I... Uh, That's my trick. At first, short iter um, irritation. Mm -hmm. Then, to show that I'm um, uh, uh, that I'm a nice guy, and that I do not want to be an asshole at the end of the day. Um, that thanks for your engagement and all your passion. But there are also other people in the room, and often enough, no, time is critical. Mm -hmm. Time walks. Therefore, please hold your breath now and give the others the space. And then it depends. No? Uh, Often enough, people then after one intervention say, okay, oops, oh, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, I did it again. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's uh, a typical way how I work. At first, uh, constructive irritation, paradox intervention, say something they won't expect, super absurd. Mm -hmm. And yeah, take the energy and uh, say thank you, but and, but, and, and, but. <laughs> There are others, and we are here in a group, and this is not, we are not here in the church, where only one is speaking, the others have to listen. Yeah, and I can imagine that um, in this context as well, it might make sense to, um, to label it, and then to give it a specific word if these kind of things happen. And then they will, whenever they happen again, you have a box in which you can put them. And then you say, oh, do you need your stage again, for instance? Yeah. Um, and then the entire group knows exactly what happens. Exactly. And you can also um, uh, uh, do something like uh, you contract about a certain signal. Mm. Mm -hmm. For instance, in one group, um, 
when people start uh, to meander around in their brain and um, uh, from one topic to the next and so on, and the discussion is not focused anymore, mm -hmm. then there was the signal you do like uh, your hand like a duck and then quack, quack. <laughs> nice. And uh, as long as uh, everybody agreed to this procedure, mm -hmm. nobody is offended. It's a little bit yeah. funny. Yeah. Uh, it does not hurt really, but the other learns, okay, hold back, give the others the space. Yes. And it snaps you out of this bilateral conversation or this deviation and brings you back into the room and the topic. Yeah. Would you define these kind of rules in the beginning before the workshop starts? Or are these rules that come up along the way and that you might put on a flip chart on the wall? Mm, no, uh, actually, uh, I would always uh, explain this at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, the rules of the game, how do we play how, uh, today together? Now there's a time, certain rules, signals, yeah. What do you think about developing these rules together with a group? Also good, but that depends from my point of view on the maturity of the group. Mm -hmm. If the group is, um, so to say, from a total top-down um, uh, world, then they usually, oh, it takes ages till they find something. So I think, and this is also... Yeah, a difficult thing in my uh, work. Um, sometimes uh, I'm more on the consulting side and I have mm -hmm. to explain topics, really um, content. Mm -hmm. And then I'm more on the process side and they are, so to say, the experts for the content. Mm -hmm. Depends. How can you, and this would actually be an entire episode um, as such, and I'm still interested and curious, how do you distinguish or how do you, how do you deal with the situation? No. Can you separate the two? Can you be sometimes only coach and sometimes only facilitator? <laughs> yeah, at first, yes, I can be completely in the role uh, of a facilitator and not uh, of a, so to say, uh, consultant. But often enough, that changes and intertwines and mingles and you can really separate it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do it from the context, but that have the tendency more to work on the coach uh, uh, on the coach side and not on the uh, consultant side. Okay. So that you keep the so the group would be the owner of the content and you help them to focus on the process and to reach the goal that they define for themselves. Yeah, because uh, in terms of sustainability. Mm -hmm. um, I am successful if they don't need me anymore. Mm -hmm. And if I would do content work, there is always the likelihood that they want more and then they are, um, uh, ex um, um, develop something like a, a dependency. Mm -hmm. That's what I don't want for the client. Yes. That's my customer orientation. <laughs> true, true. Um, this is a very nice loop back to the beginning of our conversation, the customer orientation that is um, above everything in your business as you see it. If you had one key issue, one takeaway, the nutshell, what would you like the listener to remember from this half hour of conversation? Wow. Try to create competence-based structures that enable you to make better decisions in a shorter amount of time with better results and happier people. This sounds like almost like a miracle. 
<laughs> so if they are trying this and might have some questions, how can they find you to reach out or to complain that it didn't work? Okay. Um, yeah, you can reach me actually everywhere in the internet. From Twitter, my... Um, um, My username is MKY Schnitzel. Um, why <laughs> I have this name, that's another story. You're not a vegetarian, my, I expect. Yeah. Organization.io is my website um, in English. I have also a German website, intelligente-organisationen.de, uh, where you find also more about my books and so on. And my blog. Great. True, we didn't even talk about your book. So maybe you're going to be back. Thank you so, so much to spend your valuable time with me and to share your wisdom with me and the listeners, the audience. And I wish you a happy week. Thank you very much. It was an honor and pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for staying tuned and listening to the show. I appreciate your attention as I know how busy you are. If you enjoyed it, Please subscribe and engage by sharing your comments and thoughts and visit workshops.org to download the one-page summary. I'm looking forward to seeing you back at the next episode and I wish you a fruitful day.